Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to open this book, your word. We know that it is breathed out by you, that you carried along the penmen of scripture by your spirit, that it is truth. And we, we pray that you'd help us to recognize the truthfulness of your word. And we pray that you'd help us to yield ourselves to your spirit as we worship you in the word. Accomplish your will in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm thinking some of you are going to be mad at me um, because I'm about to make reference to a song and it's going to be stuck in your head all day if you know the song and if you don't know the song you're going to look it up later and then it's going to be stuck in your head then and it's not the song that never ends so you don't have to worry about that one um, Simon and Garfunkel of course it's a great name Garfunkel I didn't name any of my children Garfunkel my wife probably wouldn't have let me even if I wanted to but they they wrote a song or or sang a song with the title I am a rock it's an interesting song, and I wanted to read and share some of the lyrics of that song with you as we open our minds up to what we are considering this morning. In the second verse, he says, I built walls, a, a fortress, steep and mighty, that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory and I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I would, uh, never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. And then in the last verse, he writes or they sing, I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. Well, I, I must say to you that God's word begs to differ with that philosophy of life. In fact, Solomon, in his wisdom and under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Folks, Christian love is messy. It's not as easy as buying someone groceries or making them a meal when they're in need. Those are good elements of Christian love. Those are excellent things to do. But it's not a complete picture Christian love must get into the dirty parts of life and not give up when people allow sin to overtake them. 
as we've been studying through the book of Galatians, what we've noticed just recently is that Paul has called the church to serve one another in love because they have been set free by Christ. And then he tells them in the second half of Galatians chapter 5 that the church is to display the life and character of God and His kingdom. And now, having done this, Paul proceeds to provide specific application of how that love must be demonstrated. He calls us to display God's character of love through burden-bearing relationships. Through burden-bearing relationships. We're in Galatians chapter 6. Please look with me, beginning at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. As we approach this text, I want for us to first notice in the first part that we are to have compassion on those entangled in sin. We are to have compassion on those entangled in sin. He says, if anyone is caught, if anyone is caught, and the word is paralambano in the Greek, it means to be overtaken. It's almost as if you're walking along and this, this trap comes up and, and grabs upon you and, and then you're, you're stuck in this bear claw, for instance. One of these traps, it just snaps on your leg, you've been overtaken. We might see the word fall, and fall into any transgression. That's not the idea. The idea is that it snatches us, it catches us. It's sin, sin pursues us. Our flesh pursues our attention. Our passions for things can distort our image of reality. And so he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, the word transgression there means a deviation from truth or uprightness. A deviation from truth or uprightness. I think that that requires just a brief consideration, this term transgression. Who determines the standard? God does. Where would I find God's standard? In the Word. It's not arbitrary. Churches don't make the rules and then we have to follow the rules. Okay, the church has said. That's not how it works, folks. The church can be wrong. Where the church points to the Scriptures, then the church is authenticating its proclamation. The Scriptures are God's standard of truth. And when we deviate from what God says, we are transgressing. So he says, brothers, those of you that are part of the the body of Christ, those that are God's children, you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Brothers, if anyone is overtaken, they're caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why? 
Why would we be so compassionate with those that are caught in a transgression? When we remember sin's character, it is easier to begin to be compassionate. Sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. Hold your hand here. We're going to go over to Hebrews just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Sin is deceptive. God knows this. We've seen it in the scriptures from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were given clear instructions from God. They were daily having fellowship with God. They were tending the garden that God had placed them in. They were image bearers of God. They had fellowship with God. And then a walking, talking serpent comes along and distorts the words of God and distorts the conceptions of God and the commands of God. And as a result, the the woman and the man, the woman first deceived, the man willfully ignorant and, and rebellious, they are deceived by sin. Sin has an allure, and, and its, its trappings are, are myriad. There, there are multiple ways. It, it can attack us from multitudes of angles. And, and when, when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we're not conscious of, of those things that are true, sin is very tempting. It's very alluring to our, our flesh, our senses. In Hebrews chapter 3, God is warning this group of Christians about deceptive sin. And he says, beginning in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here's the remedy, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the what? The deceitfulness of sin. God tells us that sin is deceptive. The fact that it's deceptive should help us to have compassion when someone is overtaken by it, someone's caught in it, because we ourselves have been caught in it at times. According to Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 22, sin can wrap around us. It can wrap around us. Listen to what Proverbs 5.22 says. It's on the screen to my right and left. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. So when sin overtakes, it's as if it starts to bind around us and wrap us up so that it it, it makes it feel like I have no choice but to do this. And our world gives credence to that and then starts to excuse that by saying he's just sick. The reality is... Sin does produce sickness, doesn't it? But it's still sin. And, and the, the symptoms we're experiencing are because we've allowed sin to overtake us and to take root in us and then basically to capture us or imprison us. Uh, why would I have compassion on someone who has been overtaken in sin? Because sin, sin can get its nasty tentacles on us and, and wrap us up. And, and I, I, all of us have experienced it. There's not a person in this room that is above being wrapped up in the wickedness of sin. It may take on different forms. Your sin may be more spiritual than mine. Mine might be more spiritual than yours. And I'm using the word spiritual very, very loosely. I'm talking about fake spiritual. 
when we start judging other people, when we start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, guess what? That's just as sinful as, as being a drunkard, isn't it? Because sin is a violation of the standard. It is going outside of the truth. It is an affront to the uprightness of God. And so the flavor of sin is not the issue. It's that sin captures us. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 just for a moment. You're in chapter 3. Just take, take a right. Hebrews chapter 12. Sin can weigh us down. And when I say can weigh us down, is it can hamper us from running the race that God has set before us. Here's what God says in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, those are things that are not necessarily sinful, but weigh us down, and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so God is letting us know that sin and those things that, that are not necessarily sin, but but aren't helpful, they weigh us down in the race. And so sin can weigh us down. Sin can distract us from God's perfect plan. And then, because of this, we also have to understand that sin and temptation is a common human experience. That's, those are words of hope, brothers and sisters. In other words, you're not alone in your experience of sin. And it's, it's deception. You're not alone in, in your experience of sin. And when it wraps its tentacles around you, you're not alone when sin weighs you down. This is a common experience. Now, sin and temptation, I've added into this because that's the context of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, His ability in you. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it or bear up under it. Note this and note this well. No one is exempt from sin's tentacles. More on that fact later. Because we know the character and nature of sin, because we know how sin operates uh, in, in certain ways and, and, and how it infiltrates and then it tries to capture, because we know this, it, it makes it a little bit easier for us to have compassion when a brother is overtaken in sin because we know what it feels like. Secondly, as we go back to Galatians chapter 6, we must help those in, uh, entangled in sin. We must help those entangled in sin. We're back in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch or keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So the focus of our attention for the next few minutes is this phrase, you should restore him. You should restore him. The word restore there is the Greek term katartizo. Katartizo. It, it's used in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Now, you'll, you, I think you'll, if you've read through Matthew, this scene, will, will, you'll remember it. Jesus has just been tempted after his baptism. And he goes out after praying, and he is choosing his disciples. And he comes to this couple of disciples, these three, um, Peter, James, and John. Remember what they were doing? 
They were mending their nets. They were mending their nets. And that word mending is the term katartizo. Their nets, they'd been using them all night. They'd been catching fish in it. And and maybe they would get snagged on some rocks. Or maybe there was a a great catch of fish and and the, the net came, uh, it broke open in a certain place. Well, when they got their nets to the shore, they were fixing them. They're mending them, making sure that they're whole again. That's the concept. Restore. Restore. Make them, make it useful again. Make it so that it is going to get the job done again. The same word is also used in the book of Luke, chapter 6. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, there's the word, fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, as the, the, the one that's pointing someone to the Lord Jesus, as that person is being trained, their, their soul is being restored to its proper place. They're, they're going to be like the one that they're being trained toward. Now when we disciple someone, we're not discipling them to be like us. Because that would be saying, hey, come and be flawed like me. When we're discipling someone, we're pointing to someone outside of ourselves, and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. We point them to perfection. And when a person is fully trained, they become like Christ. That is the goal of discipleship, is to bring them to that place. Then, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the word is used again. And you'll, if you know anything about the book of 1 Thessalonians, they get a really great report. That, you know, Timothy went off to find out how things were going. He sends a report back to Paul because he was concerned about them because they had to leave in a hurry. Hey, how are things going? And, and, and Timothy writes a letter that says, hey, they're doing great. You know, this, this, this. Uh, their faith is being spread abroad. They, they've turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God. All sorts of great things are being said about them. Then you get to chapter 3 and verse 10, and there's the transition in the book. And he says, basically, I can't wait to come and see you face to face. It says it in verse 10. I can't wait to come and see you face to face and supply what is lacking. There's our word, katartizo. Supply what is lacking in your faith. This is the concept. If someone is caught, overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore them. You should mend them. You should... Train them toward Christ's likeness. You should be the one who is trying to help them to see what's lacking so that that which is lacking can be supplied. You want to supply what's lacking in your faith. Our coming alongside our brother and sister or sister is to restore them to fellowship. Uh, take a look, please, with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. While you're going to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to remind you of a passage that you may or may not be familiar with. In, in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus is speaking about very similar concepts. Someone who is sinning. Someone who is sinning. And it says in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, his sin, between you and him alone. This, like, it's not, don't use Facebook or Twitter to tell him his sin. You go to him or her and you tell them, their fault or their sinfulness between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The concept is you've brought them to a restoration of this. This situation, while it was a breach, when they properly deal with it, you've, you've brought it to their attention, they've properly dealt with it, now the breach has been fixed. The hole in the boat has been repaired. 
The hole in the tire has been repaired, and now you can put air in it again. It's fine now. It's been mended. It's been restored. This is the idea. When someone sins, we come alongside of them for their restoration. Now, that's um, a sin face-to-face between you and them. Now, how about if they're just in sin? What if they're caught in sin, overtaken in sin? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 has something to say about that for our edification. Begin looking with me at verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. If if it ended right there, we'd say, well, I guess I have to get away from everybody. Because there's no one that I know that doesn't ever sin. In fact, I'm going to have a real problem living with me I think I've got to put an end to that relationship too. (laughs) I'm not talking to you anymore, kid. (laughs) How's that going to work? Um, But that's not how it ends. He doesn't just talk about isolation. He goes on, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you... um, in yourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, so we have this illustration of laziness, not working, and trying to kind of mooch off everyone else. Hey, you pay my bills. I'm, you know, I have need, and I don't want to do anything about it. Now, there are issues, there are times when someone can't do anything about it, right? And when that's the case, what do we do as, as, a, as a church family? Come alongside of them. Hey, you, can't, you, know, you, you have a need. You have, you have inability to, to meet that need because you are physically unable or whatever the case may be. You come alongside and you care for them. Um, but if someone is in a different situation where they can do something about it and just would rather that you did it, then we have a problem. Now, that's the illustration here. That doesn't mean that's the only thing that this passage applies to. Let's go and see what they say to, to do about this. Uh, verse 11, for we hear that uh, some among you walk in idleness, idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now, such pe- persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. In other words, hey, you're not pulling your fair share. Do something. Go to work. Get a job. Um, go plant a a field somewhere, do something to to get this ball rolling. Do something. That's the call. Hey, do your work quietly, earn your own living instead of trying to get it from everyone else. Verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. In other words, don't just abandon them. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. In other words, if, if after you give him instruction, after you come alongside, you've helped, you've loved, you've, you've supported, you've instructed, you, you've charged, you've rebuked to, to try to help them to, to do what's right, and there's no response, well, at some point you have to say, well, that's not working out. Um, they're, they're, they're not taking the instruction from the Lord, and I can't help them. But look at what he says in verse 15. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So, He's still basically, he's telling you, don't abandon them even in this. 
Don't even abandon them when they refuse to hear and refuse to hear. What do we do? That doesn't mean you continue to, to take food from your own family's table and give it to them because they have the ability to deal with it and won't. So, so there comes a point where you say, all right, you've exhausted that element of my Christian charity, but that doesn't exhaust Christian charity. Christian charity still goes on where we say, hey, God has a plan for you, and this is it, and God will provide for you. This is your responsibility. This is, this is what you need to do. This is coming alongside. This is part of burden-bearing love. Head back to Galatians chapter 6. He continues this concept of helping those who are in an entanglement of sin. And he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. The word means to lift up. Lift up. Well, I probably don't have to say a whole lot here. Um, you know what it's like when, when you sin. You know, you know what's going on inside of you and how low you feel and how guilty you feel and if you're not if you don't come to your proper spiritual senses how condemned you feel sin always brings with it that sense of dread and condemnation doesn't it you've experienced it and so the author of galatians says come alongside this person that has been overtaken in a fault and lift him up well how do you lift him up well i'm going to take your sin on me that's not it that's not it. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews does a very similar thing here. Beginning in verse 12 of Hebrews 12. Now the context of the book of Hebrews, I, you're probably familiar with it. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Um, there's a group of people that had come to faith in Christ. They're, they're Jewish Christians. They've come to faith in Christ. They experienced persecution, and they did well under that first wave of persecution. Some time goes on. And a second wave of persecution is coming, and they're, they're, they're weary, and they, they're afraid, and they are ready to bolt their Christian faith. They were headed back to what, they, what you could consider a safe haven of Judaism, because at the time, Judaism was not under the same kind of attacks that Christianity was. So they were tempted to head back to Judaism. And, and you can just imagine they're crying, God, what do we do? I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm scared and, and, I, and, and, I, and I think I'm just going to do this. What do I do? And God sends them a letter. It's, the book of Hebrews starts off by saying, God, who in various times and various ways in times past has spoken to the fathers by the prophets. It says, in, in these last days he has spoken to us in or through his son. And so the, the whole book of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, listen, guys, listen, people, listen, Christian, there is nothing better than what you have in Christ. He's better than angels in chapter 1 and 2. He's better than Moses in chapter 3. He's better than Joshua in chapter 4. He's better than uh, the Melchizedekian priesthood in chapter 5 and the Levitical priesthood in chapter 5. He's better than Melchizedek himself because he was a priest pre-incarnate type of thing. Um, he, he's, he's better than the old covenant. He's better than the old temple. He, he's, he's part of a better system. Jesus is the best. And so he's constantly trying to embolden their faith to trust in Christ. And as you get to chapter 12, we already saw the, the, the concept in verse 1 about running this race without being in, impeded. 
looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then he goes in verses 3 through 11, talks about the fact that God as a loving Father comes to you and disciplines you so you can, he'll bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. All of that said, and now he says in chapter 12 and verse 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. If we don't pay attention, we're going to think he's saying to you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hey, stop slouching. Hey, stand up straight. Stand like a man. We would miss what he's actually saying. That is not what he says. He's talking not to an individual. He's talking to the Christian community. And he says, you see that guy over there? He's hunched over. He, he's weary from the race. You ever, you ever run a mile after not having run for a while? It's like, oh my goodness. I just think I'm not going to make it. And you're, you're, you're hunched over. Your knees are wobbling. And your, your, your hands are on. You know, you got, I grab a hold of my, my cloth. I'm like, all right, this is, this is better than standing up. You see that guy over there? He's struggling. Don't abandon him. Look what he says. Verse, verse 12 again. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame, what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with, what does it say? Everyone. And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that, what does it say? No one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it, what does it say? Many become defiled. He's talking to the Christian community. You see that guy? He's struggling. Come alongside of him. Lift him up. Don't abandon him when he feels like he can't take another step. That's the concept. The concept is not abandoning someone in the midst of it. And this is the concept back in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Lift up your weary brother. He's weary from the battle. They need you to come alongside of them. What are we able to do for a weary brother? Are we able to carry their load? Hmm? What do you say? Trick question, no? I don't, I don't think you can carry someone else's load. Do we tell them, hey, come be yoked to me. I'll bring you along. Hitch your wagon to me. I'll get you where you need to go. Is that, is that what Christianity is about? Hey, look at me. Follow me. I'll strengthen you for the task. I can't be the Holy Spirit and I can't be Jesus. I want, to, I want the Spirit to work in me and I want Him to display Jesus in me and I want, I, want to, I want others to see the power of Christ in me. Take a look with me at a passage in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 11. We are to point to where help really comes from. We are to point to where help really comes from. This is how we'll truly bear one another's burdens. In Matthew 11, this incredible and encouraging passage from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's Jesus offering to his disciples and those that would listen and us in reflection. He's offering us to understand that what he did is enough to eliminate our striving to gain God's approval. He's already won that approval for us. He has fulfilled what you and I have not and will not. Jesus met the perfect standard of a perfect God. He failed not in one point. He has accomplished for us what was required of us. And if we want to have rest in our souls, we want our burden truly lightened, it's going to be because we come to Him to receive life. Remember He said that to the the woman at the well? Hey, I can give you water that will fill you, fill you, you'll never thirst again. We come to Him and He can fill us and strengthen us and make us forever approved before God, forever pleasing to God. When a brother or a sister is overtaken in a trespass and it feels they feel condemnation and they feel guilt and they feel like they're wrapped up in it and, and they, they, they can get to the point where they think, I don't have any other choice. I've tried. I've tried everything. I've tried everything, and I keep ending up back in the gutter with this, whatever this sin is. I've tried, and this is where I end up every time. What what do we say? Well, let me help you. I'll I'll get you out of the gutter. No. We point them to Christ. He's lifted the burden. That doesn't make anyone's sin ever acceptable. It doesn't make my sin ever acceptable. It doesn't make your sin ever acceptable. However, because of what's called justification, it makes my standing with God acceptable. And because I am one of God's children, I know that the Spirit of God dwells in me. And since the Spirit of God dwells in me, I know that no sin has any right to rule over me. Jesus has set you free from the bondage of sin. You don't have to continue to allow this to wrap you up and leave you bleeding and guilty and condemned in the gutter. We point them to Christ. He is he's our true burden bearer. Burden bearing is true Christian love. Head back please to Galatians chapter 6. Burden bearing is true Christian love. He tells us to restore him who has been overtaken in a trespass. He tells us to bear one another's burdens. And he says at the end of verse 2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? What's the law, class? To what? To love. The law of Christ is to love. Remember, hey, what is the the greatest commandment? Well, I've got two for you. (laughs) The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first 
of those deals with the first four, uh, first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. The second of those laws deals with the f- five through ten of the Ten Commandments, right? So we, we recognize we love God with all our hearts. We're dealing with the things God has told us to do uh, t- toward Him. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're doing all the rest of the commandments. This is what He's told us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How many times did he say love in that passage? Numerous. What's he getting at? This is a true declaration and demonstration of God. God is Love. You got it? Have I put you to sleep? You guys are a little lethargic this morning. Must be my fault. We're in Galatians 6. I want to just look back at chapter 5 just for a moment and verse 14. Will you read verse 14 aloud with me? Try to get you alive and awake, participating. Galatians 5.14. Ready? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Paul's been getting at in chapter 5, and he's spilling it over into chapter 6. You've been set free by Christ, but you haven't been set free so you can do whatever you feel like and live a life that is contrary to God and His Word. He set you free to love one another. There's, there's always going to be opportunity to have discord. Always. But he's telling us that we've been set free, that we might demonstrate who God is in loving one another. We can't help others, however, if we ourselves are entangled with sin. This is the other main idea he communicates in these opening verses to chapter 6. Address your own entanglement with sin. Now back to verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass or transgression, you who are spiritual. The Greek word there is pneumatikos. It's very simple. Pneuma is spirit. Ikos, great word, great ending. Ikos means related to the spirit. You who are walking in the Spirit. Now, has he told us anything about walking in the Spirit in the last chapter? A lot. He's been talking about the Spirit a lot. The whole second half of the chapter was about walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He tells us if you walk in the Spirit, there'll be the fruit of the Spirit. The first of which is love. You guys are so slow. What have I done? The first fruit of the Spirit is what? There we go. Thank you. You made me feel better. You who are spiritual. Now, Jesus had something to say about this too. Shocker. Jesus is the author of Scripture, right? He's the Word Himself. When you look at Matthew chapter 7, everyone likes verse 1, right? You like verse 1. You like verse (laughs) 1. Judge not, lest you be judged, right? Everyone wants to say, judge not. That's not it. Like, that's not the end of the sentence. Like, that that was just like the, the introduction. What else did He say? He said... Um, if you go about and you see a speck in your brother's eye, I have a suggestion. Before you start saying anything about the speck in your brother's eye, take a look in the mirror, because you've got this giant, nasty log hanging out of your eye, and it's really jading the situation. You really can't see clearly 
to judge your brother. First, take the giant log out of your eye. And then, you'll be able to see clearly, and then you can talk to your brother about what's going on. We, before we ever start dealing with someone else's sin, the very first place is to deal with our own. You who are spiritual. And then he says in verse 1, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. The word there is used in chapter 5 and verse 23. Take a look at verse 23. Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Hmm. What's going on in verse 23 of chapter 5? What's he listing here? Who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit? Every believer? Well, yes, that would be the answer to that is yes, every believer will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, but not at every time. When will a believer exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? When he's walking in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, surrendered to God, walking in harmony, fellowship with God, walking by faith, walking by grace. Submitting to the fear of the Lord. When when that's going on, the fruit of the Spirit takes place. So, when he says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, he's telling you to walk in the Spirit. No? Like, that's the only way that gentleness is coming. I can learn all about gentleness. I can can learn every in and out of gentleness. And I can say, hey, I'm going to go do gentleness now. And you're all fine. I am not gentle. I can do things that look like it and smell like it, but I cannot do gentleness because gentleness is a work of God. So he's, he's not just telling us, hey, address your, your brother. Help your brother. He's telling you, you've got to deal with yourself first. Before you can even help them, you've got to make sure you're not entangled. And the only way you'll know, is the Spirit at work within me? Is the Spirit producing a, a meekness toward this one that is caught in sin, so that when I talk to them, they're going to know I'm not pointing my finger at them like they're just some rotten heel. But I'm a, a, a person who knows what it's like to be overtaken by sin. I myself have been overtaken by sin. And so we come to them with a, with a gentle and a meek spirit that d- displays Christ. He then says at the end of verse 1, now this is how it reads in our translation keep watch on yourself it looks as though it is a command and in sense it carries with it the force of a command but the way that it really should read is while keeping watch while keeping watch it's a participle so what it's telling you is restore such a one in the spirit of meekness while you are all the while you are keeping watch over your own soul all the while that you're guarding your own soul, all the while that you are inspecting, or the word can mean scouting, scouting out your own soul. Now, some of you love this kind of discussion, but you might remember what was called Spygate. The Patriots lost a first-round draft pick and a quarter of a million dollars, and the coach lost $500,000, million, uh, 500, million, uh, half a million dollars, a fine because they were t- said to have been scouting or spying on the other teams in their practices and on the sidelines and all of this nonsense. The concept is, is to keep a watchful eye on what's going on. We're 
keeping a watch, not on all of the problems of those around us. That is, that's so easy. It's so easy to blame your wife for all of her sinfulness. It's so easy to blame your husband for all of his sinfulness. It's so easy to blame your kids for all of their sinfulness. One of the things I find about myself, children, my children, block your ears. I don't want you to hear this. When my children, block your ears. <laughs> when, when my children sin and I have to address them on it, sometimes the very sinful thing that I am addressing in their life, I am displaying at that moment. It drives me absolutely insane. It's like, how can I correct my son like this or my daughter like this? Like, I'm correcting this and I'm doing it. What is wrong with me? Restore them, him, in a spirit of gentleness keeping watch for your own heart, lest you too be tempted. No one, no one is exempt from sin's tentacles. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. I'll just read it to you. It's not on the screen, sorry. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. It's a very simple verse to read. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, you know the rest of it? Take heed lest he fall. Take heed lest he fall. And this is the main idea of chapter 6 of Galatians and verse 3. Look what it says in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I'm going to bear your burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Good luck with that, buddy. (laughs) You cannot do that. You can love them and point them to him. Remember your own sinfulness and weakness, your own frailty. The main point of verse 3. Who is above the possibility of sin? Come on, raise your hand. (laughs) Smart people. He goes on and says in verse 4 to test our own work. He says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now that's very interesting, don't you think? Um, Let me ask you a question. Who has reason to boast in himself? Raise your hand. We're all looking. In fact, I'd like to take out my, my, um, my phone and put a, you know, record it. Anyone? Reason to boast in yourself? Anyone? Humble group this morning, or real. And I think that that is Paul's point. What does he tell us in Galatians 6, 14? Galatians 6, 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're not boasting in ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. We're not boasting in ourselves. We are guarding ourselves, and we're pointing people to Christ, and we're pointing ourselves to Christ. Verse 5, Galatians 6, 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. So now we've transitioned a little bit in in this verse. He's told us to bear one another's burdens. 
Different word than load in verse 5. The burdens, the immediate context is we've been overtaken in a fault, right? And so this, this burden is weighing down, and I feel guilty and condemned. And so we point one another to Christ, and we're, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're remembering ourselves so that we don't fall into the same sinfulness so that someone doesn't have to bear our burdens that way. And then he tells us that we don't have anything to boast of in ourselves, essentially. I, I, that's how I take verse 4. And then he says, because each one has to fulfill their own responsibility. While I want to come alongside of you and encourage you and point you to Christ, I can't live the Christian life for you. Nor can you live the Christian life for me. We all have our own responsibilities. All my fellow brothers and sisters can aid me when I am weary and help me recast my gaze upon my glorious Savior, no one can fulfill my responsibility for me. Did you know that the commands of Scripture are not just decorations? When I wrote that, I was, writing, I was typing that in my notes because I thought that was pretty, pretty nifty. It reminded me of something when I was a teenager in high school. My father had a nifty way of saying lots of things. He still does. He's very consistent. But one of the things he used to say to me when he needed help is, are those things just ornaments? He was talking about my muscles. Are those things just ornaments? Because he wanted me to come and do something for him. So, well, of course not. I can pick up anything. You know what I mean? But that's how he used to say it. And, and my, my question, or my, my statement really is, the commands of Scripture are not just ornaments. They're not just to, like there as, as interesting things to observe. They're things that God intends to be displayed in our lives. Now, we can't fulfill those commands in and of ourselves. Uh, we can only do that as we're empowered by the Spirit. But when we're empowered by the Spirit, guess what we do? We, we meet the righteous demands of the law. That's what happens. If, if I don't meet the righteous demands of the law, it means I'm not walking in the Spirit. And I've got real problems. So, so the commands are there for a reason. I have my own responsibilities. The responsibilities are fulfilled through the Spirit. God intends for His people to display His character in the Spirit as we fulfill the responsibilities described in our Bibles. It's important to realize that grace, grace produces fruit. Is that not the point of chapter 5? Grace produces fruit. Grace issues forth in fulfilled responsibility. So I have one last verse of Scripture for us to read. Head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. In the midst of this resurrection chapter... Paul brings forth this very important truth concerning God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 8. He's speaking about Jesus appearing in verse 7 to James and then to all the apostles. Then verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not pointless. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. In other words, folks, when God's grace is operational in us, there is an apparent, a visible display of work 
There is a visible display of fruit. There is a visible display of obedience. There is a visible display of God's character. God's grace was not issued forth to no end. His grace was not in vain. That's what it says in verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not empty or pointless or purposeless. It had a purpose, and what it did is it produced all manner of truthfulness in the life of the Apostle Paul, and so with us. And so with us, each one will bear his own load. As we walk in the power of God's Spirit, we are fulfilling our responsibilities. We are spiritual. We will be exhibiting a spirit of gentleness. And thus, we will be able to bear the burdens of our fellow believer. We will point our fellow believer to the source of true burden-bearing, Jesus Christ himself. This is true Christian love. True Christian love says Christ is enough and stays with people while they struggle with that. We can enter into the fray of their difficulty. We can enter into their dirty world because we have our own dirty world. Are you an island? Are you a rock? Would you much prefer not to have friendships, not to love because it causes tears, to have your poetry, your books, and things to read because they'll never harm you, they'll shield you? I don't think that's, I don't think that's true to you. You can be all by yourself and find yourself in perfect misery. God intends for us to walk in harmony with one another, in beneficial relationship to one another, in burden-bearing love. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. Your word is true. We ask that you'd help us. Who is sufficient for these things? You are. Your Son is. Your Spirit is. And it is to you to your Son, to your Spirit, that we surrender our heart and mind and strength. And we ask you, Father, that by your grace, you would produce within us this ability to bear the burdens of others, to restore those who are overtaken in any trespass or transgression, to never think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, to to keep watch over our own soul, to rejoice only in Christ Jesus and never in ourselves. We, we have no reason to boast. And Father, to know that your grace fulfills responsibility within us and to see for, that, that in our relationship with you, you will fulfill, you will fulfill the responsibilities that you have prescribed Help us not to settle for anything less than this kind of a display of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.